Welcome to the Teacher Planning Podcast. These special episodes are centred around alternative educational topics such as teaching and learning, time management and anything that's, well, not lesson planning. Welcome to another international teaching episode on the Teacher Planning Podcast. And today I am joined by Julia. And Julia is currently, and I say currently because there's been uh, been history about Julia moving about, Julia is currently in Bahrain. Um, Julia, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. How's it going? Really well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I always like talking about my international teaching career, so it's very exciting for me. Um, I'm, well, I'm so excited to hear about this. Um, now, I'm, I'm just going to let you into, well, yeah, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Um, so where you started, where you're from originally, what took you where, what your previous roles were, and so on. Okay, so originally from southeast London, I uh, grew up in uh, just on the border of Kent, a little town called Plumstead, and I went to two schools. Um, one was a Roman Catholic uh, convent, and then I went to a Church of England school. So I went from an all-girls school to a mixed school, and that's a, probably a different blog, different story, different podcast. <laughs> um, I ended up being a teacher. Um, probably because I always wanted to be a teacher. I was, I was that one that made my brothers and sisters sit down and do their ABCs. I was that big sister. Um, and then school was just one of those places that you went to have fun. And then when I went to university, it really came home to me that actually I loved teaching. I loved English. It was where I wanted to be. So I started my graduate teach training program um, at a school in Bexley or Bexley Heath Academy. And I was there for eight years as a head of year. And then I got the opportunity to uh, move to Thailand and I was the head of English there for a very small school on the outskirts of Bangkok. Um, And it was beautiful because there was like buffalo in the the rice paddy fields and you would walk through these lovely little lanes and there'd be like, you know, squash snakes and all these random exotic animals that, you know, obviously didn't appear in the suburbs of Kent. And then I moved from the uh, suburbs of Bangkok to the mad, mad centre of Bangkok to a place called Tonglor, which is a bit like um, Piccadilly Circus, but in the middle of Kensington. So it's quite a posh part of Bangkok, um, but it was incredibly busy and it was incredibly vibrant and loud and noisy. Um, And then in 2015, I had my second son. And in 2016, we then moved to Bahrain, where I took a little career sidestep from being assistant head into back into head of year where I felt quite comfortable and then did that for four years and then I was promoted in another school in Bahrain to vice principal and they've recently promoted me to principal of the whole school so I've gone up down left right back again and I'm probably right about where I need to be currently. (laughs) Oh what a fantastic journey now um as, as you were talking through that, I was just thinking, right, I've got to ask about that, I've got to ask about that, I've got to ask about that. So let, let's start from the beginning. What took you from London or Kent to Thailand? Um, the job started to get hard. I mean, the job the job's always been tough, but I think that when the um, cuts came in in 2009 as a pastoral leader, we started to lose support. We started to lose funding for things that were really vital. And I think the, the crunch point came when I had a safeguarding issue that we were waiting for the police to turn up to. And I had to turn tell that child basically that they had to go home that night because that's what the police had, had deemed. And I remember going home and just saying to my husband that, I can't do this anymore. This is this is soul destroying. And that was on top of the, the personal layer of, you know, working long hours, not seeing our oldest child. He was 18 months. And then the Facebook feeds, you know, you'd, you'd see our friends who had taken the leap internationally the year before and you would start to see their posts about freedom of teaching. You'd see the, the, the beautiful pictures from the beaches of Thailand and Vietnam and Cambodia. And I was like, oh my goodness, I would love to do that. So I got in contact with my friend and we're still friends now. He's actually in Hong Kong now. And I was like, come on, Steve, what, what's, what do I do? How do I do it? And he just said, you just do it. You just apply and you just go. And I was like, okay, so uh, I put an application into a school in Bangkok and he actually knew the head. So he'd given her a sort of, yeah, yeah, she's brilliant. She's really good. I had one of those little pep talks. Um, and I got the job on merit, obviously. And I was there for two years. And then I moved to another school uh, where I was promoted to assistant head. So 
we just had this whirlwind sort of time in Thailand where our mantra is always the same. And, and if anybody is thinking about moving internationally, the contracts are two years. You can always go home. There is always a plane that will leave and take you home. And for us, when things have got a bit sticky or things have built like, you know, actually maybe we're not in the right place, we can always go home. And now going home feels like more of a journey than move into a new country I, I and I can't really quantify that <laughs> apart from to say that I would struggle moving back to London now um, knowing what I know seeing what we've seen having the family life that we've got I would struggle moving back to London so what is it I'm, I'm going to pick up on that comment what is it that would make you struggle about moving back to London or for any other listeners on this well any other listeners to this particular episode you might be somewhere completely different in the world, you might be in the States listening to this. What is it about where you've taught or where you've worked, or where you've lived, that you'd struggle moving home? I think that the job has changed so much. Um, and talking to friends that are still teaching back in the UK, it's just, it's it's a hard job. And it's all, and, and that, not to say that I don't work hard abroad, I do. But we don't get tied up in the uh, paperwork. We don't get tied up in the admin. Uh, we don't get tied up in the, you know, the government's latest fads. You know, we're not suddenly reacting to things like the UK government. I mean, of course, we have our own directives. We have our own um, governance. But it doesn't seem to be as tough as the UK um, te- tough as the UK teaching is. Um, we struggle in terms of childcare. I mean my goodness you need to like have at least three people in a marriage to be able to afford a baby surely I mean they are expensive things and childcare is expensive so I would find that tough I would I don't know there's so many things that's tough about living back in the UK there's just so many things paying tax I mean you guys pay tax on everything (laughs) (laughs) this is um I mean we we were talking about this before I started recording this episode and my main question to you as as someone who's got a six-month-old child myself who's got a six-month-old child I've always liked the idea of traveling I've always liked the idea of living and working abroad yes I I did it for a couple of years in Australia but I wasn't in my full career then Um, I wasn't even a teacher at that time what is it about like I said that is that's my main thing having a child what would you say to anyone who's got the same reservations as myself? I think you, what, what is your driving ambition for your family? I mean, ours was when we were in London, we wanted to spend time together. We wanted to have those moments where life was meaningful. And I'm not saying that picnics in Greenwich Park weren't meaningful, but you know, to have like half terms together, to have, you know, nine, 10 week summer holidays together, you really get to know your children. And as teachers, your child often attends the same school that you're teaching. So you have this wonderful unit of togetherness a lot of the time. And it's really made a bond with our boys. And obviously, my husband's a converted to teaching as well now. But we've, we've got a very strong bond. And I think that it's you don't realise how much time you don't have in the UK. And that's that. I think that's probably it. You know, we. how can you quantify that you've got a six-month-old baby and how many hours of the day do you spend with your son, daughter? So what and that's the question. It's so different then when you're living... So, sorry, I will go... I will rewind slightly. So we've been talking about Thailand today. We, we've been talking about Bahrain. This episode is focusing on Bahrain. So let, let's talk about Bahrain now. What is it about living there that gives you so much more time with your child? Or for those who don't have a child, what would give you so much more time to do the things that you want to be doing in life? I mean, international schools have an understanding that, you know, class sizes are not 30 plus. Most international schools are below 24. Uh, My current school um, has a maximum of 20 per class. So if you're a full time teacher, then your marking load, your planning and prep is lower. Um, You have a a slightly longer day because you start earlier, but most UK teachers are in at eight o'clock in the morning anyway. So that makes no difference. But you're home by 3.34, which I know a lot of UK teachers are not home by 3.34. And if you use your time wisely, and most teachers do, then you're not taking stuff home. I mean, as a senior school teacher in, in, in Bahrain, as an English teacher, I was really only taking home 
marking and those very busy periods, you know, like mock, mock exams and things like that. So you're given smaller classes, you're given more prep time, you're given time to do your job properly. And good international schools know that time is, is key. So living in Bahrain, you know, you get home at 3.30, the sun's out till 6. We live on a compound, we have a swimming pool, we have a gym. Um, we, we are able to do a lot of things outside. And yes, yes, it does get hot, but you get used to it. You know, it's, it's an unusual, I find anything below 27 is, is Arctic. So <laughs> another reason I can't go out to the UK. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it is. I mean, we joke about it, but it is such a major factory, isn't it? And that is what drives so many people to leave the UK. Some people love the cold weather. So that's actually fine. Stay in the UK, you're probably in the right place. But it is you know what? It's not it's not the cold weather. It's the sunshine. You don't realise how much joy there is in having blue skies and sunshine. And, you know, when we go back to England, it's really interesting to watch the the mood level, especially the boys who are not used to that grey weather, um, it's it's really difficult to to kind of Im imagine. But when you have blue sky and sunshine all the time, when you get a little bit of rain, the kids celebrate it. I mean, they dance in it like a snow day back in the UK. They love it. But if it goes on for a few for days and days and days, it does bring your mood down, and you don't realise how much joy there is in just sitting in the sunshine, sitting in the garden. You know, being able to enjoy the outside and. And all of our life, apart from when it's in the classroom, is outside here. We know we, we can sit outside at restaurants, we can sit outside at the beach, we can sit outside in the garden, we can sit around the pool. And we just have a much more um, healthier way of living. Otherwise, we'd be just stuck in the house all day in the UK watching TV or iPads and or whatever. And I, I just find that when you're abroad, you do more. You, you, they, we've had much more get up and go. You know, we've had holidays. We can, like we're going to Dubai this weekend or we're, we're not so obviously during the pandemic, but we're able to go and visit the places that are, would be so out of our reach in the UK on the salaries and coupled with all the expenses that happen there. So when you're here, you just have a better lifestyle. You have a, you're halfway to everywhere. Like I said, you're six hours to Thailand, you're three hours to Sri Lanka, you're an hour to Dubai, an hour to Amman. So if you want to change your scenery, you can do it. And the salaries afford that. So as someone um, like myself, who I've never been to Bahrain and I've only spent three days of my life, I spent three days of my life in Dubai. And that's, that's, the, that's the most time I've spent in Middle East. Someone who's got bright blonde hair, and quite pale skin I would kind of think it's too hot out there I, I couldn't deal with that heat in Bahrain I couldn't deal with that heat in Oman I couldn't deal with the heat in Dubai how does how does it work surely there are people like myself aren't there yeah for about two weeks and then you get used to it, is it like, is honestly you get you get used to it you acclimatize you acclimatize that's I mean and also because you know the sun in England, I mean, every year I would get sunburned. Every April, when that saying came out and you were sat in the pub garden, I would be sunburned. I'm never sunburned here because yeah. <laughs> I'm never sunburned here because we you you learn to respect the the climate. And yes, when you get off that plane and that heat hits you and it's 40 degrees, you think you you know. But I walk from my air conditioned house to my air conditioned car to my air conditioned classroom. <laughs> it's not you know you, you you barely feel it. So. You'd okay. get used to it. You'd love it. I'm going to speak on. I'm going to speak on behalf of the PE teachers now. Um, oh yeah. Go how do they deal with it? Do they have to spend the whole day outside in 35, 40 degree heat? Um, not during the height of summer. I mean, obviously, all international schools will have good indoor facilities, sports, you know, sports halls and stuff. And again, the playgrounds and the astroturfs and the basketball courts are all fitted out to be in this hot weather. But even in the height of summer, you will still see boys playing football in in the in the midday sun, because you know it's outside and everyone loves to be outside. You get used to it. I mean, my husband's a PE teacher, and he just puts on his baseball cap and he gets his sunglasses on and he puts his sun cream and he's just out there doing his thing. And while we were watching from our air conditioned classroom, so it might be a bit tough on PE teachers, but you chose that role. You were destined for it. <laughs> we did and I always say this when people uh when people say oh, oh you're so lucky being out the sun in in June or July I think well yeah think of me in those January days when it's cold and wet but but you still but you still choose to wear shorts in those cold January days 
Oh, I, I'm not one of them. I'm not one of them. I'm a bit softer than the others. Um, so, so you talked about it. Something I'm going to refer back to what, what you said before. You said, oh, you, you pay tax on everything in the UK. So are you saying that um, you do not pay tax in Bahrain? No, it's a tax-free it's a tax free lifestyle. Um, last year they brought in VAT, which, which is 5%. So when you go to a restaurant or you go to a bar or you buy goods, you are paying 5% tax. Um, but you, you, you're not noticing it because, again, you're in the Middle East. So everything is elevated. And you said you spent three days in Dubai. So you know that Dubai likes to do things and doesn't do them by halves. And it's yeah, the same. In the, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but those but salaries do, you know, are uh, it's about the lifestyle that you have. So, for example, when you're. Um, your, your wage has a basic a salary, then the school will give you a housing allowance and some schools will pay utilities, um, either some or all of them. Um, and you get like a, a flight allowance each year, we get medical. So all the things that you are thinking, oh God, that's really expensive. It's covered in your salary. And you get free schooling, which is obviously which the locals don't have unless they choose to go to local schools or government schools. And you you have the same lifestyle that you would have back home, free healthcare, free uh, free education, those kinds of things are in your in your package, in your contract. So the house you have is paid for with this add-on housing allowance. Um, and some schools will give you an apartment because they own them or they have a, agreements. And some schools have compounds, you know, where like almost like in sort of mini housing estates, but a lot more fun and a lot, and a lot bigger and flashier. So the wages are comparable to the lifestyle that we have here. And then of course, our money doubles when we go home. So for every dinar that we earn here, it's two pounds back in the UK. So when I really, really want something, and I look at the price, I convert it into UK, and then I put it back into, into BD and go, oh, that's fine. It's not that expensive. It's, it's a very important point, isn't it? Because, again, I, I've spoken to people in Malaysia. I've spoken to people in Singapore. I've spoken to people in Japan. And they, they've got very, very different wages over there. But it, it's not about what you're getting paid. It's about your disposable income afterwards. Yeah, so, Absolutely. But, Based on, um, I know I know it's been quite a while since you have taught in the UK, but based on your time in the UK, would you say that you do have more? Are, are, yes, you say um, things cost more, but would you say you do have more disposable income? Absolutely. No, absolutely. Because we're not tied up in the things that we were tied up in back in the UK. So we don't have two cars here. We needed two cars in the UK. So we don't have two sets of car insurances. We don't have two sets of road tax and all that, all those things that are doubled because you needed them back in the UK. Whereas here we have one car and things like car insurance is so much cheaper here. You know, we our car insurance, I can't even, I don't, I don't even know how to equate it, but if you're spending like 1200 pounds in the UK, we're spending less than a third of that on our car insurance. So it's just different. You can't, I mean, obviously if we were lunching at the Four Seasons every weekend or we were, you know, hiring Ferraris and things like that you you wouldn't have disposable income but we live the same life that we live here in Bahrain that we would have done in the UK so you know spaghetti bolognese for dinner for example is not going to cost the, the earth in Thailand it did my goodness it was cheaper to go out and have a four course meal in Thailand it was to try and cook spaghetti bolognese but that again you have to adjust your lifestyle to the surroundings you're in so you know if you know that you know in Bangkok for example cheese was really expensive you 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 had to budget for that whereas here things like dairy products and cheese and meat are very cheap compared to Bangkok so it's, it swings and roundabouts okay and, and you're talking about the, the lifestyle in the place you're living um what is a lifestyle in barring but I mean for example if you've got someone who likes to go out and party every single weekend can they do a, do that in barring just as if they would do in the UK I mean, we're in a Middle Eastern country, so we're we're, we're ruled by um, Islamic culture, which is very is very liberal. So it's not as um, it's not as uh, strict as Dubai. Dubai Dubai's actually got stricter laws than Bahrain. 
But there are places that people can eat and drink alcohol, no problem. And they're licensed very strictly. You know, things like modest dress, you know, you're not, you can't go to a public beach and wear a bikini that would, that's a, or drink alcohol at a public beach. But there are private beaches where you can pay a membership and you can, you can do those things. Um, if you wanted to, if you wanted to go out to a nightclub, there are nightclubs here. Um, I don't know how good they are compared to the UK, of course, but there are things that, you can live exactly the same lifestyle, but you just do it in a slightly tempered environment. You know, you, you have to be careful because we are in a Muslim country and there are things here that we need to be respectful of. Um, you know, people do um, value modesty and they do value um, respectability. And you, you find yourself not being worried about those things because people think oh my god can I, can I wear shorts there yes you can wear shorts you can't wear short shorts to the shopping mall but you wouldn't want to because the shopping malls are really cold with the air conditioning <laughs> you know you don't want to wear a strappy vest because you know shoulders are considered to be you know uh, immodest and but again you wouldn't wear a strappy vest most places so there are things that you are you're more mindful of but I wouldn't say they, they stop you from having that, that good time or stop you from, from living your life. And as I said, you know, there are, there are British expats here, there are French, there are Italian, there are American. We've got a huge American naval base here. So there's a big um, naval um, and Marines uh, base. So you see, you see Westerners or expats, whatever you want to call them, every day. Um, and the local Bahrainis are a really, really lovely, lovely, welcoming community. Like you couldn't... You, as I said when we landed here it felt like home but it was just they're just such nice people and as long as you like any culture as long as you follow the rules of law then you're fine okay and so I mean you're talking about all these expats over there a question that I do often ask people is would you would there be any any situations where you would need to speak the local language Oh, Thailand absolutely my goodness taxis taxis and food and numbers in Thailand they were the things that we needed to learn and quick especially living in the suburbs where nobody spoke English and I think if you've been to Thailand on holiday you can often be kind of fooled into thinking that those uh, the English is widely spoken and it really isn't Bangkok has very very limited an amount of people that speak English but Bahrain no Everybody speaks English. It's the it's the it's the official language. It's the second official language here. And funny enough, the the um, locals in the international schools they speak English more so than Arabic. And you'll find that some some Bahraini children can't even speak Arabic because they speak English all the time. So it's a completely topsy turvy way of living. But I mean, I can I mean look, uh, I can say thank you. I can say hello. I can do you know I can do the things that are respectful and I think people should be encouraged to learn the language um can I speak it fluently absolutely not um it's a really hard language to learn actually okay that's, that's quite interesting and sorry I, I am aware that we've talked about general lifestyle for nearly half an hour <laughs> we've not talked we've talked about teaching for about two minutes um <laughs> which you know what I, I'm absolutely fine with and that, that's the whole point that's the whole point in moving abroad though isn't it because you're not just moving abroad for your job you're moving abroad no. for the life um, but I am going to ask one more question about the general lifestyle. So what, what would you do? What do people tend to tend to do when it comes to the weekends or when you've got your free time? So I think for us as a family, so for example, tomorrow we'll be off to the beach. Um, there's a lovely little set of islands just off the, the main island um, and you can hire like a little beach hut and the water's really shallow and the kids can just play and they've got these big inflatables so we'll just spend the day at the beach tomorrow we'll be there from probably 10 in the morning till six in the evening and that that's a very typical thing that we'll do as a family um we once the water park opens there's a huge water park with like a all the shoots and flumes which the boys love and again i can just sit there and enjoy my sunbathing um it, it, it depends there's horse riding horse riding is huge out here lots of people horse ride um all of the clubs have stables attached to them uh, we've got a rugby club that does all the major sports rugby obviously football you can you can you can go to, you can do a myriad of sports water sports are massive sailing is huge snorkeling i mean you could if you wanted to fill your day you could find something to do um and on our Friday, sometimes we'll go and have a brunch. The brunches are very big here. I don't know if you did one of those in Dubai, um, but they and we did them in Thailand as well. And and that's a nice way to spend your your afternoon with your friends, you know. So sat in a nice hotel, obviously drinking and having food, and it's it's lovely. Um, 
kids are much more welcomed here. You, there is always something for the kids to do. There's always an event for the kids to attend. Um, and it's just, again, it's like, it's like being at home, but magnified in some much more glorious way. Is there, is there anything that you miss about the lifestyle back in the UK? Um, I miss being able to pop around my mum's and I miss uh, having, you know, that that family time. But then my, as I said, my family, are, my mum's Maltese, so her family mostly live in Malta. Uh, my sister lives in Germany. She, she's married to a German guy and they live in Berlin with their two sons. My young brother lives around the corner from my mum and my older brother, he's a bit of a nomad and he sort of splits his time between London and, and Australia. And we are a family that are never really in the same place altogether very often. But when we are, it's lovely. <laughs> okay, so look, like I said, we, we've had we've had quite a discussion about lifestyle and what, what it's like to actually live in Bahrain. Um, I suppose we should probably talk something about teaching now, shouldn't we? Go on then. <laughs> um, so, right, so you're te- you have been teaching in international schools um, around the world. You're not been, you've not been teaching local schools, so you've not had to learn languages. For those people who aren't so sure what exactly international schools are, what are international schools? They, again, there are many different types, but all the ones that I've worked in have been, you could have picked it up and put it in the UK, except your um, register would have been slightly different. The curriculum is the same as the UK, tweaked a little bit for local customs, um, but it's essentially a really, really fun, well-run British school in a hot country. Okay, that's a, that's a fantastic description, that is, I love it. Um, so what sorts of qualifications do the students come out with then when they go to your international school? So all of the British schools I've worked in have offered GCSEs and A-levels, um, and that'll be the same for the current school that I'm in. Um, and again, it's no different, but they're international. So the G- international GCSE is obviously a lot easier than the GCSE in the UK. Just the texts are a little bit more um, accessible, especially for English. Um, but that's it. There is no difference. There is no difference. Behaviour, I've never, and I'm going to touch wood, I've never had any behaviour issues in the international schools that I've been teaching in because there's just a different level of uh, respect. You know, people... The, the, the children that go to those schools come from wealthy families. They come from families that don't necessarily want, you know, they don't want to be called about their child's naughty behaviour because that is difficult to, for them to deal with in terms of, you know, family reputation or whatever it might be. But there's also a respect for education that I didn't realise was there until I moved abroad. So in Thailand, my favourite um, uh, story, so I was marking at my desk and the children were on task and, you know, it was a, you know, just a normal lesson. This child gets up and says, Miss, can I show you my work? I'm like, of course you can. Up he comes, shows me his work and I'm, you know, yeah, brilliant, well done. And he walks away bowing. I'm like, what, what's he doing? Walking away bowing backwards. I'm like, oh, okay. I was like, are you okay? He's like, yes, Miss. I went, why are you walking away backwards? because it's rude for me to put my back to you, miss, because you're a teacher. I was like, oh, okay. Mm, I like this respect. <laughs> oh, brilliant. I mean, kids then, turn their back to me when I'm talking to them, let alone when I finish talking to them. <laughs> but in Thailand, there's even a teacher day. It's called Y Crew. And, you, and all the teachers are sort of lined up on the stage and the children come and they bow in front of you and they give you like a little flower offering because... Teachers are revered in other cultures and they're revered because governments or religions, whatever it might be, hold us up to be something, you know, special. They understand that we are teaching the next generation of leaders. They understand that we are teaching the next generation of doctors. Without teachers, you don't have society. That's what's missing in the UK, that level of reverence. I'm not suggesting that every child walks away backwards or hands me flowers, Mm -hmm. but it would be nice. But I've, I've heard the same though. They they do the same in Singapore, so yeah. they, they have national teachers there in Singapore where they all bring in yeah. gifts for the teachers and yeah. they might put on a performance for them or something like that. Maybe I should um, yeah. maybe I should get the ball rolling over in the UK. See how that goes down with the government. Yep, they'll love that. <laughs> they'll love that. You'll, but the thing is, your gifts won't be. I mean, you'll get a packet of digesters, aren't you? That you know. Better than a kick in the teeth. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Um, so I think something I need to draw upon when you're saying that 
that these are generally quite wealthy children and you're talking about behavior management it's, it's not necessarily the case though isn't it just for those people who might be teaching in fee-paying schools now sorry who might be working in fee-paying schools now it's not necessarily the case that just because the children have money they're going to be well behaved um and no, sometimes no. it's the opposite isn't it but Possibly. what you said is that there's a respect there there's a respect for the for the education whereas something like in the in the uk they might have grown up and they're taking it for granted yeah i think that i mean what makes a good teacher is that establishing that relationship with, with kids and i know that when i've been teaching internationally i've not 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 had to work as hard to get that relationship but the rapport that you establish with kids is established quite quickly there's a level of trust there that they're prepared to give you whereas in the UK I, I've, been, I've stood in front of classes in December going what the you know oh my god <laughs> yeah, it, it's hard work um yeah, of course there are behavior issues but it's not it's just not on the same level and you're dealing with um with 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 management as well who are there to support you um and I find I found in all of the schools I've worked in if you've ever had a problem and you've taken it to the management They've always been very supportive, even in the UK. But I think you're just given a, it's just a level of respect that you are given here that you don't have in in the UK. I mean, it's it's a tricky one to, again, put into words, but teachers are seen as important. They really are. And at parents' evenings, parents are really respectful. You know, they'll, they'll refer to you as, you know, Miss Julia or if the Korean parents will call me teacher because that's the polite way to address a teacher in Korea. Um, you know, and you have the, the levels of respect from, from parents and they really don't want you calling them saying that their child's been rude to them. They really don't. It's really quiet. It's, you know, it's just not, just not done. So again, I, I don't want to generalise, but back in the UK, people, um, people often say that when you work in a fee-paying school, you bend over backwards to do anything for the parents because they're paying your salaries and they will what they will demand absolutely everything I'm, again i do not want to generalize it because it doesn't happen all the time but it's it's a bit of a general consensus what you hear isn't it i don't know about that i mean i i would bend over backwards for parents as a head of year to do the right thing i would bend over backwards to make sure children are doing the right thing and I'm doing the right thing by children and I think that that's an element of teaching I mean I understand that in schools that you know there will be a certain parents that think well we're paying your your wages or whatever but you're you have to go to schools that have got integrity and I can safely say that every school that I've worked at internationally has had integrity and none of them would have given grades none of them would have bowed to parental pressure and that comes from doing a lot of research into your schools you need you know if you're going to make the move internationally you need to make the move with all of the facts you know you've got to do your research because there are bad schools out there but there are bad schools everywhere there are bad teachers everywhere you know and, and I say that with a very you know with a pinch of salt because I genuinely believe that most teachers in a classroom are doing the right job you know the, the best job that they can but I don't know you're you it's again you've just got to do your research I think that parents who are particularly difficult are usually the ones that we need to help anyway because they're obviously in need of something you know it's like a child isn't it we we look to when they're screaming and shouting we have to try and take a step back and find out what what the real problem is so you you just talked about um there are bad schools out there there are bad teachers if i'm looking for a, a job at an international school how would you, how would i identify them I think that, again, it, you know, we're a very small circuit of, of people now. I know Liz just through Twitter and through some of the stuff that she's written on tests. So if there was a job that came up in Malaysia, I would contact her on Twitter and say, what do you know about this school? And there are lots of informal conversations that can happen like that over social media. Um, there are ways of finding out which schools are the best schools, which schools should maybe be avoided. Um, and when I say, when I talk about bad teachers, I... I, I want to take that back slightly because I'm a powerful advocate for teachers in the sense that I genuinely believe that everybody that goes to teach does it for the right reasons. Um, so I <laughs> just want to yeah. put that out there. Yeah, but so I, 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 think, know what, I know what you would have know what you would have meant, but it's not yeah. necessarily you may not be getting the best of the best. Yeah, 
I think that you have to do your research. I mean, and there are plenty of things out there. The International School Review, you could take the pinch of salt, but it's always good to, to look on there. Um, and that's a website that, that has candid reviews from um, teachers. I wouldn't recommend it as a, a sort of a complete truth, but you can start to build pictures. You know, most when I had um, when jobs came up at my school in Bahrain, I had people message me and say, "Oh, Jules works there. Give her a message." And you can you can give people the heads up on places, um, and that, and and international teachers will do that. They are they're a very good bunch of people, and they will make sure that the community is looked after. Okay, so so on the subject of if I were to be looking for a school. If I were to be um, wanting to work at your school in Bahrain, what would I need to do? You would need to make sure that you have your PGCE and that you've got QTS and that you've got a minimum of two years teaching experience. Um, and that's to fulfil the visa requirements for Bahrain. Um, and you would have to go through the interview process like you would do back at home. Um, some schools are beginning to ask the video lessons um, and quite in-depth interview processes all schools are different um, if you were applying for a job in Abu Dhabi you would probably need a master's to get a visa for in teaching so you have to do your research that there are plenty um, the, the the master's is interesting because they'll accept the PGCE as long as it's got the the QTS attached to it but someone like me who's got the GTP and no PGCE I can't work in Abu Dhabi because I don't have a master's yet ah, that's really that's really interesting so um Based on the fact that you have to have that additional qualification or you have to be qualified to master's level, do you, does that reflect in their pay in Abu Dhabi? I would imagine so. I mean, again, if you're recruiting teachers that have got those qualifications, they will they will expect to be remunerated correctly for it. Um, but it's interesting because the, the, the leadership of international schools tends to have a much more educated body than the UK so in the UK I know you know used to have the the NQPH for example um but it wasn't a mandatory course you had to do I mean you can go and get a head teacher's position through your experience and, and that's that's fantastic um but in international sector they are looking for those qualifications they're looking for MAs they're looking for doctorates they're looking for um the the national professional qualifications that are offered by the BSO and places like that and leadership if you are moving into leadership positions you do need to make sure that you've got the qualifications to back up your CV so I mean from from my end I'm halfway through my MA in educational leadership and that will take me into the next stage but I mean I'm looking for perhaps you know not now but in the next five to ten years I'd like to be an executive principal and I think I'm probably going to have to think about doing a different type of um, degree for that. Okay that's, that's really interesting. Um, now talking about your school itself what would a typical school day look like? Well, I moved from seniors to infants. So I've gone from teaching the big kids to the little kids. So my day is completely different. So I've gone from having a very structured, rigid timetable to just having a huge amount of fun in with little people. So uh, children arrive about eight o'clock and from about eight till about quarter to nine, they're in the garden doing painting or doing different activities that have been set for them. Completely different to senior school. Um, and it's awesome. And then they have their main subjects, English and maths in the morning. And then in the middle of the day, we do either wellbeing, we teach wellbeing at our school or global skills projects. And then in the afternoon, we'll try and do like a, an activity like drama or PE, for example example so we planned our school day around the optimum times for learning um, and having as much outdoor time as possible so we're a play-based provision um, and if you'd asked me two years ago you're going to work in infant school I would have probably just laughed and cutted <laughs> off to you know the doctors. <laughs> um, so, so why did you go to infant school and why is it so different to secondary school over there? I moved because um, I want to be an executive head at some point so I'm very good at sitting down and mapping out my career and knowing where I'm heading and I knew that if I wanted to take over an all through school from infants through to sixth form I needed to have experience in the part of the school that I'd never taught in before um, because I think to be a, a head teacher you need to understand the pressures and the pressure points and the challenges and 
also the really fun aspects of, of your school. And that was one area of education that I hadn't had a huge amount to do to, to do with at all. Um, the lowest I'd ever taught was year five, and I've done some transition with key stage two to three and then three to four, and obviously sixth form, but I never had that age. So I wanted to get some experience that would give me a breadth of knowledge that I could carry forward into the next stage of my career. Okay. Um, as, again, it was really interesting to hear about that difference and why you've gone into, into the kind of the junior setting. Um, now, I know in your school, what sort of staffing backgrounds do you have? Is it literally just, um, is it people who are in their mid-20s who are just looking for something a bit, little bit different or do you have all, all walks of life? Um, my current school is very unique because we're a startup school, so we're tiny. Um, and I've just taken um, through my year one teacher through her teacher training. So she's just she's just qualified now. She was actually a doctor before and she transferred to become a teacher. So wow. she's just finished. That, yeah, she's just uh, finished that qualification and she is unbelievably good in the classroom. Um, and I've learned a huge amount from from observing her lessons. So she's she's just at the point where she's starting her QTS. Um, and she so we're quite a small team. But in previous international schools, the, there's a huge range of diversity. Like I said to you before, um, my husband's a PE teacher and he he was in international fundraising before moving into, into teaching. Um, good international schools will have a, a breadth and depth like the UK. Um, I know that there's a perception that there's, you know, that teachers that are teaching internationally are backpackers, but actually I found in all of the schools I've worked in, very committed professionals, that have made the leap into international teaching purely because it suited a lifestyle that they were looking for. Okay. And because I I was talking about, sorry, you were talking earlier about if people aren't enjoying the job, it's generally a two-year contract, did you say? Yeah, absolutely. They usually sign a two-year contract and you know how quick those school years go. You know that from, by... um, January in international schools you have actually done half a year already and so because it's, it runs from August to June um, and you're doing it you need to check this as well because when you're teaching internationally different countries have different mandatory days in school so for example in Thailand and in Bahrain we have 180 days obviously in the UK it's 195 but in China it could be 210 so you need yes <laughs> Wow. So, yeah. Again, again, really, really interesting things like that, that unless I speak to someone like yourself, I wouldn't have any idea. And that's really interesting for for anyone who's thinking about going over to teach in China. I mean, I've seen loads of jobs advertised in China. Yeah. Wouldn't have even dawned on me that you've got to do that extra time teaching. Yeah. But you've got to be careful because, I mean, the, our day is longer. We go from from in, from in, in senior schools. We've gone from eight till three. Um, in my current school, we're eight till the children leave about half past one, but we stay for till three o'clock because of the planning and prep. Um, so your day is really eight till three, and that could be a good six hours of that could be teaching. So when you're looking at international schools, you need to find out what your contact time is. You need to find out what your non-contact time is, and that is that will give you an idea of the sort of pace of the school as well. Um, most international schools, like I said before, will give you, you'll get a bit of extra time. Your class sizes will be smaller. Um, but it's a, it's when you, when you sort of put it all on a table, I work a shorter school year, my holidays are longer, my pay is better and I get sunshine. So Yeah. I, th- I think it's really interesting when you say, I mean, it's such a fine detail you just said there kind of, what is your contact time? What's your non-contact time? It, it sounds so small, but it's it can hugely affect your lifestyle, can't it? And your happiness. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you. I mean, international schools usually expect teachers to do an after-school activity. Um, you know, take a, 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 an after-school club, and some international schools will pay you for that, and some schools won't. And again, it's about having that that knowledge to ask these questions at interview or to check your contract for things that are important um before you make leaps but i think the best thing if you are thinking about moving internationally you reach out on places like twitter um and you find teachers that are living in in those countries and you find teachers in those schools and that's the that's the best way to get a good understanding of what's happening in in 
in the place you want to go to. And also don't don't knock off places because you haven't heard of them before. Or you haven't been there before. You know, a lot of teachers want to come to the Middle East because they've been to Dubai and they think, wow, Dubai. But actually, Amman is beautiful. Um, you know, Bahrain is beautiful. Saudi Arabia is amazing. There are so many fantastic options in the Middle East for, for teachers. It doesn't have to just be the UAE. That's, um, yeah, that's, that's a really, really interesting point. I was thinking, I was thinking, just as you were saying that, I was thinking, this is a headliner straight away. I'm just going to take this as a snippet, upload it as a nice little kind of a promo video. And that is just saying, that's saying exactly what, what exactly you need to be doing when you're going to be looking for a job abroad. Find people, get, get in touch with people on Twitter, get in touch with people anyway, and find out what their schools are like. Find out what is kind of what I'm doing with you, with you here. And the, this is the reason I'm doing it, so people can listen to it. And it gives people an idea. And sorry, I'm going to put you on the spot here. If people do have an interest in coming to work in Bahrain, would you mind if people reached out to you to get any bits of advice? No, absolutely. The, the thing is, I um, I did a webinar um, in September for tests for um, early career teachers, and I've ended up picking up a few teachers in their early finishing their PGCEs that are wanting to move internationally. So I've been quite happy to give advice on CVs. I'm quite happy to give advice on cover letters. I'm quite happy to give you my opinion on anything. <laughs> you just got to get. You just got to get in touch. Yeah, I, I know I really did put you on the spot there, didn't I? We would have heard a bit I know, I'm happy said, to No, no one's allowed to get in touch with me. <laughs> <laughs> no, if, you can, feel free. I have no, I, I'm, I will always make time. I always answer emails and I always answer messages because I think it's important. Okay, thank you very much for that. Um, now, we, we've talked about these incredible experiences you've had working in Bahrain and Thailand as well. Um are there any negatives that you found of living and, and teaching abroad? I think towards the end of our time in Thailand, I mean, we have with a family of four, getting back to the UK became quite a journey. I mean, it's 12 hours when you've got two young kids. So that that you've got to weigh up those things as well. How how long does it take you to get home? what the flight price is, that kind of stuff. Does your contract have flights for the children? The contracts have flights for your husband or wife? Um, those are definitely questions you need to make sure you've got answers to. Um, downsides, when you're, when you're far away from home and you're looking for comfort, you know, I remember when I was pregnant with my second child, um, I just really fancied like cheese and pickle baguettes and it was just one of those and I wanted a really nice cup of tea and I like PG tips and I, I sent my husband out and I was like you know you're going to go to the most expensive supermarket and you're going to bring me back this thing and bless him he did um and it was just it's just little little bits of home that get you like every now and then you might see like Wimbledon on this one of the television screens and you'll see like England in blue sky and grass and you're like oh I've only I've seen the desert for the last two years I could do a little bit of you know English blue sky yeah, yeah, that's really interesting you say that. I mean, like I said, we only, we only spend a couple of years living in Australia and there are certain things like that you miss. And we actually, um, we sent a package to some friends recently because um, we know how much people miss these things. So things like dairy milk chocolate. And like you said, we, we yeah. sent a, a jar of Branston pickle. Um, I mean, I'm kind of regretting that now due to the shipping costs. But, uh, <laughs> but it's, it's really small things like that that you do miss, isn't it? Um, yeah, but I think okay. you, you've talked about the big the big picture as to why you move. Um, and on that subject, just to kind of uh, round things off here, I'm going to give you an alternative 30 second challenge here. And, and you're basically okay. going to sum up everything that we've talked about today. Um, so your experience of um, living abroad and working in an inter international school and why you think people should do it. Okay, so I'm not, I'm, I know I'm putting you on the spot here. Um, so if you want a couple of minutes to have a think about it, that's absolutely fine. <laughs> okay, 30 seconds. Um, movable because you want the freedom. Movable because you want to be with your family and have more opportunities to travel the world. Move to an international school because you want to see a different way of learning, a different way of teaching, free from the constraints of, you know, Ofsted and ridiculous rules. Um, move abroad because you can. Fantastic. And that, that was done inside 20 seconds. Um, and I think, honestly, that, that is, it's a powerful 20 seconds. That's how I, I'd, I'd put that. 
Um, Thanks. I, I found it, every, honestly, every time I speak to people um, living and working in these in these different countries, it just really tempts me. And uh, I go really? away and I start to have a chat with the wife about it and think, oh, shall we do it? Um, and it, it, it kind of promptly gets shouted down. Um, but I, I think you've talked about so many advantages to moving abroad and what you can have. And like you say, one of the key things is, it's two years. It's a two-year contract. And something that other people have said is, if it really is that bad, and oh, you've right. for two years, yeah, there's things that can be done, aren't there? Absolutely. Look, nobody is nobody is going to keep you in a school where you're unhappy. You know, you, you come, there's a, there's a weird kind of emotion. So you arrive in the country and you're all very excited to be there because it's all new and different and it's amazing and then sort of christmas january february you're like oh my god what have we done we're missing home and you do go through a slump and when you get through that slump that's when you need to make sure that you're doing the things that you said you were going to do oh i'm going to go travel we're going to go to the beach every weekend we're going to you know find new friends you've got to you've got to take risks that you wouldn't necessarily have to do if you were at home once you get past that little slump and it happens to everybody you're on a home stretch and then you find yourself looking at the test going oh my goodness there's a job that's just come up in never heard of it but let's let's google it you know and that's what happens you get tempted and you can't go back there is no way back yeah okay and and, and something um sorry just when we joined when just when i joined you today this is so bad of me i wasn't even aware of the time difference so those people who are who listening to this who were as ignorant as I was when I started this call um <laughs> what is the time difference from the UK to Bahrain it's two hours um so I go I have no idea I haven't even got I've got no watch no phone on me I have no idea what it is now but it must be come out to about half past 10 maybe I know I, I do apologize I'm, I'm keeping you up here so um we're, we're, we will run it's this the weekend up. It's the weekend. Tomorrow's Friday. We Friday. We don't work Fridays and Saturdays. Oh, this so is Friday. Let's carry on talking for another couple of hours. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's so. That I mean, honestly, that talk is is fantastic. And there's so many. Like I always say, I'd like to think there's so many people who could benefit from this. Um, now, I talked earlier about people potentially getting in touch with you. Where can people find out a little bit more information about you? Where can people contact you? Um, you are more than welcome to find me on my Twitter handle, which is at Knight William, which is my married name and my single name together, um, and my LinkedIn profile, which is Julia Knight. So feel free to reach out. I'm more than happy to to have new friends. Brilliant, and and I'll put the I'll put links to them on the um, on the show notes so that people can just click onto them straight away. Brilliant, okay. lovely, brilliant. Julia, thank you so much again for talking to me this evening. And look, it's the first okay. evening here in the UK. I've got a Friday to look forward to in school. You've got a weekend to look forward to. <laughs> Enjoy your weekend. And uh, hopefully we could chat again soon. Please, it would be lovely. Have a really, really lovely day. And uh, let me know when you're thinking about moving to Bahrain. I'll give you a call in an hour. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Julia. Welcome. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this alternative episode of the Teacher Planning Podcast. If there's any topics you would like to hear discussed, or even if you'd like to provide your own words of wisdom, please get in touch at teacherplan@outlook.com or reach me on Twitter or Instagram. Keep educating, keep learning.